Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. I'm Dan Martson. I'm coming to you from south of the moon on the banks of the beautiful Snake River. And Lee is broadcasting from the Bell Witch's backyard, bringing you all things strange, macabre, conspiratorial, and downright supernatural. Lee, good to have you on. And you've got a big interview for us. Tell us about it. Yes, Beyonders. Um, I am extremely excited to finally get to post this episode. Um, I got a chance to sit down with a man named William Dorian, and he is the author of the new book, The Holy Water Incident. That book is the story of his experiences with the paranormal as well, and it really predicates around the story of his daughter's um his daughter's exorcism and subsequent situations that occur after that. Um, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I really did enjoy this story, but it is a bit of a tough story to initially get into. Please give it a fair shot. It is one of the most chilling stories that I've ever read. Um, but you have to give it that fair shot and give it the time to really get in there. Once you get to a certain point, it's going to click and then you're going to be turning pages every time. Um, you're going to be turning pages left and right um, because you're going to want to know more. So, Yeah, Lee, a lot of books are like that when you get started. Um, but once the supernatural stuff comes in, it's a roller coaster ride. I'm excited to hear about what we've got. Let's go to the clip. All right, guys, Sorry. we're going to jump right over to that interview right now with Bill Dorian. Welcome back, Beyonders. I'm excited to be speaking with you today because I have the author of the new book, The Holy Water Incident, William Dorian. William, it's great to get a chance to speak with you, and after reading your book, I'm happy that we could get together to speak about it. The book was an exciting read. Thanks a lot, Lee. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, we're very happy to have you. It's a great chance for us to build our listener base and just reach out and get to know local people for us um, so that we have connections and people to speak to going forward. And um, you're not that far away, right? Oh, no, I'm up in Clarksville. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, what, 50, 60 miles from you. Yeah, I mean, I work down. At, I work down in West Nashville. Um, so yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself and your book. Okay, uh, I am a retired theater professor. I taught theater at Cumberland University, and before that, at uh, Western Kentucky and Bowling Green. Uh, I write plays, I act, I direct, um, I've been doing it a long time, um, I got involved with, uh, the paranormal while I was working on my master's in theater at Tulane, and I met, um, a lady down there who was the, uh, daughter of Pearl Curran, who was an internationally famous psychic back in the 20s and 30s. And um, so anyway, that's how it all got started. Um, I'm also, uh, I've been in the newspaper business for a long time, uh, theater critic, and I edited a little newspaper in Nashville called the Nashville Pride. Okay. The Nashville Pride, I'll make sure that I put a link. Is it? Does it have an online presence? Yeah. Perfect. I'll put a link to that in my show notes. Great. Great. Yeah, they're actually mentioned in the book. <laughs> I, I saw that. I did see that. Oh, I, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to, like, you know, I, I've read it, but it, you rem- remembering certain points is a little bit tough. Oh, but, yeah. Um, so, so in your book, I mean, it, it, this is essentially the story of um, uh, uh, your life, but most specifically the, the possession of your, your daughter. Um, right. So, uh, but I'd like to start off from the beginning. You mentioned that um, the um, the psychic that or the the lady that you uh, like really got into paranormal with you, um, or that you got you into paranormal, um, and and you didn't mention that that you kind of worked with her and got introduced to a spirit named Patience Worth. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, uh, Eileen's mother, uh, Pearl Curran channeled a spirit named Patience Worth, and uh, Patience claimed to be the spirit of a Puritan woman who'd lived back in the 1600s in New England, and uh, I think she said she was killed by the Indians, and um, she had always wanted to be a writer or a storyteller, but, you know, back then they didn't even teach women how to read and write, Mm -hmm. so... uh, she supposedly came back through Pearl Curran so that she could uh, uh, get her message across. And through Pearl, uh, via the Ouija board and automatic writing, she wrote six novels and uh, I think it was two plays and several books of poetry. And most of the novels were bestsellers back in the 20s. And they were written in uh, early modern English, which is the English of uh, Shakespeare and uh, King James Bible. 
So lots and, of thou's and stuff like that. Oh yeah, thou's and these and verily I say unto you's and all that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Pearl was relatively uneducated. You know, she she did graduate from high school, but according to Eileen, even that was by the skin of her teeth. She was never an intellectual, not a big reader, mm -hmm. uh, d didn't know anything about the Bible. And there was really just no way that she could have known how to speak early modern English. And um, they had Harvard scholars analyze uh, the language in these novels, and they all verified that it was perfect early modern English. And there's no way Pearl could have known it. So uh, that gave a little validity to the fact that she might have actually been channeling a, a spirit from the 1600s. I mean, it's definitely difficult to uh, write something that you wouldn't have really known how to write at that time. So, Yeah, it's almost like, you know, uh, trying to speak a foreign language that you don't know. Exactly. And another, uh, I, know, I remember... One of my favorite stories that Eileen told me about her mother after a while, because the Ouija board is a really slow process, and that's how they started out, was working with the Ouija board. And you, ha you have to have two people on the board. You have to have somebody else write everything down. And it goes from letter to letter, and it's so slow, and it takes forever. Mm -hmm. So eventually, after... Really, three or four months, I think, uh, Pearl started doing automatic writing. And instead of having to fumble with the uh, bulky Ouija board process, uh, she started writing it down. She'd just sit and start writing, and eventually patience would take over. But the, the interesting part of it is that Eileen said that you could go to her mother and her mother would be doing automatic writing, and you could carry on a conversation with her about something all the, totally different, and she's still writing in early modern English and talking to you about uh, uh, what you needed to pick up at the grocery store. That's amazing. Um, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a drummer, so I... I... I've got a little bit of knowledge about like isolating different movements and uh -huh. just like actually getting out real thoughts, I think would be nearly impossible to be writing something with one hand and talking to somebody with a completely different one. That's not just keeping a beat. That's completely separate. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, the only answer could be that whatever was guiding her, her hand was not her brain. It was Patience Worth or somebody. Exactly. I'm with you on that. I absolutely feel that. So you mentioned that Patience Worth was a, a Puritan. Um, so it's fair to say she didn't have much of a sense of humor then? Uh, no, she actually did. She uh, Patience was, uh, uh, she would crack the odd joke. I, mean, I wouldn't call her, you know, it wasn't Neil Simon or anything. <laughs> That's okay. She, she, she had a pretty good sense of humor, actually. She and she also said she never really fit into the Puritan society. She, I think, she always felt like they were a little bit too stuck in the mud for her. 
I can understand that. I really can, especially you know if if she wanted to be a writer. And the amazing thing was is it's like it's like death wasn't uh wasn't an actual hindrance for her. She was able to come back. She was able to write. Um, apparently, while she was up there, she she had some learning too because she didn't really have. Um, she sounded like she didn't really have the education back in the 1600s. Right. She right. wouldn't have been able to write without getting some sort of education while she was on the other side. And I think there are two ways of looking at that. It, either she learned after she died, or I've I've heard some people say that when on a you channel a spirit, they can only use what's in your brain. Okay. Uh, so you know if you know how to write. They can write. Okay, and then um, she's just dictating the writing, yeah. and, and your mm-hmm. brain's doing it for her. Okay. I think that's that's because I know my daughter channels too, and that that's a different story, and mm-hmm. we'll get to that later, I guess. Yeah. But uh, uh, I know one time she channeled a spirit of. He said he was a teenage boy who had died from a drug overdose, and he was a guitar player. And we had an old guitar around the house, and he picked it up and tried to play. Well, Brittany doesn't know how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. And he tried to play it, and he was just, you know, flabbergasted. <laughs> what happened? What's wrong with my hands? Oh. I can't play. I and, think... you know, that was it. He he was having to use her brain, but she didn't know how to. Her brain didn't know how to play the guitar. Yeah, the muscle memory just wasn't there for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, well, so you you spoke about the Ouija board a little bit, and and you seem to have like a like a love hate relationship for the Ouija board. Um, in some points, you you seem like you you feel like the Ouija board is um, you don't really hold any grudges against it, but then in some points, you seem like you mention or you seem like uh, it may have been part of what caused the majority of the incidents with your daughter. Well, yeah, the uh, I have learned since, and I didn't know it at the time, because when Eileen and I would play with the Ouija board, um, and this is how I found out about the Ouija board. There was a book written about Eileen's mother, Pearl, and I read the book, and it's called The Singer in the Shadows by Irving Litbag. Yeah, Irving Litbag, that was his name. And he said in there that patients had declared sometime or other during Pearl's uh, time uh, with with the spirit that uh, after she died, patients would be able to come back through her daughter, Eileen. Mm-hmm. And I saw that, and I got all excited, and I ran to Eileen. Did you, did you know this? And she said, yeah, I knew it. I said, well, did you ever try it? Have you ever tried to contact patients? And, you know, I was just, a, I was a 23-year-old kid, and I was so excited. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, nah, I don't care anything about that stuff. So I talked her into trying it. She never had even tried it before. And I went to the, I think it, maybe it was a Woolworths, and bought a, a Ouija board for probably three or four bucks back then, because this was back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we tried it, and just immediately we started picking up the spirit of patience worth, and she was talking in early modern English, and 
it was like, you know, she had never, it was like an automatic thing. She'd never been gone. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, Eileen started doing the automatic riding like her mother did because the Ouija board, that it is so cumbersome. Uh-huh. It takes forever. Yeah, I read that in your book, and, and I mean, I can I can imagine. Um, I've heard about how it works. I stay. I personally have decided to stay away from Ouija boards myself. Um, Probably but, the best thing you could do. I, yeah. They say that there are you you know they say there are precautions you can take, and I've learned all about that. And I even list some of the precautions in the book. But if you if you're gonna play, and I would say if you're gonna do it. If you're determined to use a Ouija board, and I can't stop you, take these precautions. There are things that you can do, you know, mm-hmm. um, crystals that you can set up, different aromas that you can have uh, in the house, and, and there are a lot of things you can do, but I wish I'd, I'd never subjected my daughter to it. I, I that was a huge mistake on my part, and but I didn't know, you know. Eileen and I, we never took precautions. She never knew there was any harm in it, and I didn't think there was. Mm-hmm. But and Eileen and I, we well, we we parted company uh, when I I left New Orleans. I got my master's in Tulane in uh, theater down at Tulane, and. Uh, her husband was, he was a bartender, (laughs) but he was also a a Baptist, and he was very, very, very much against anything to do with paranormal. And I wrote a book about my experiences with Eileen, and I found a publisher, and the guy was ready to go, and when uh, Eileen's husband found out about it, he said no. He put his foot down, and Eileen was just kind of a very subservient kind of person, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't stand up to him, and so, she, you know, that was the end of it. Uh, the, the book publisher wanted a whole series of books like Eileen's mother had written, mm-hmm. and when he found out there was only going to be that one, he wasn't interested anymore, so that book never happened. Oh, that's unfortunate. But, uh, even after that, I can st- I could get on the Ouija board tonight and contact patients. I, I was I was I didn't need I found out I didn't even need Eileen to do it. Wow. Um, when I was uh, working with Eileen, I I um, sometimes we we'd come to Nashville for the weekend and, and uh, bring the Ouija board, and I found out that I didn't even have to have Eileen to contact patients. So it, it was a parlor trick. It was a party game, you know. Yeah. Good way to meet girls. <laughs> I'm uh, sure it was. <laughs> but, uh, I just always thought it was harmless. It was just a game. But after... I had uh, my daughter, uh, and, you know, we would do it. My daughter and I would sit down and play the Ouija board, and it was just a game. Uh We had fun with it. Mm -hmm. But she got to be a teenager, and uh, she started 
playing the Ouija board with her boyfriend when he would come over, and I didn't know they were doing it without me. Because uh-huh. I had told her, don't do this unless I'm around. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up, and it, it's a little early for the question because I wanted to bring this up a little later, but um, I was wondering if you felt like maybe patience um, may have been like a protector spirit for you, and that's why your your um, your interactions on the Ouija board were safe. She was there to block anybody else trying to come in and step in. Um, and that was kind of how you were you were safer in those situations. I yeah I, I think you're right. I I, I think uh, I think that's a, that's a real good point. And I maybe I hadn't even thought of that before. But you know it was always safe when I did it. Mm-hmm. And because patience was always with me. But she wasn't always there when Brittany used the board. Cause and that, she, that's what I was wondering. Maybe patience yeah. had an attachment to you or at least an affinity for you. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And was there to protect you. And so, yeah, I think that's a good point. Okay, sorry. Back to, uh, I apologize. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I had never really thought of that before. I'll have to tell Brittany that. That's a good point. And I, I was just thinking about it. I actually had a couple thoughts that I'm going to bring up a little, in a few more moments. Um, but uh, going back to what we were talking about, tell us a little bit more. I mean, there's a there's a very there's a very dramatic um, telling in your book. And I don't want to give too much away um, of the of like the very first exorcism of your daughter and how and how that really went. Um, but one of the biggest and, and the, the most interesting things that stood out to me was the relationship with uh, Spence, her protector spirit, um, and and the family. Uh, can you tell me more about what it was like just hearing a voice like that coming from? Because I'm imagining like a thick, um, a, a thick like Irish accent, and and at least in my head it goes to more of a, a male tonage. Was that the case, or was it more? Did it sound more like your daughter just with that accent? It didn't sound like a deep bass voice, but it, it wasn't her voice. Okay. And it, it was, you know, it was an Irish accent. Um, uh, he, he, this spirit came the night of the exorcism mm-hmm. and claimed to be her guardian angel. And in between her going through the the horror that we had to go through yeah. of the demonic possession and all that every once in a while the spirit would she talk for the spirit who claimed to be her guardian angel and said his name was Spence mm-hmm. and he had an Irish accent well Brittany couldn't do an Irish accent when she was 15 <laughs> years old um, she can do it now because, but she's in her 30s uh-huh. um, so you know uh, but yeah it I guess it maybe sounded like he sounds like an Irish tenor. Okay, all right. If that, if that yeah. makes sense. And and can you tell me more about uh, about your relationship with him? Because because I know in the end it kind of you kind of parted ways, feeling differently about him. Um, but in the beginning, when you actually when you truly felt like he was a guardian angel for your daughter, um, what was it like having that brotherly love or that brotherly friendship um, with? 
with something that is literally controlling, in essence, controlling a loved one of yours? Well, I, it's, uh, I, it's hard to describe because I had never been in that situation before. But uh, Spence, he was, he was like a member of the family for about 15 years. Brittany would channel, even after, after the initial possession, after the exorcism, she continued to channel Spence for about off and on for about 15 years. Um, for the first year, it was very frequent. We'd, we'd see Spence just about every day for the first year. Now, eventually it got to where he would only come around every few months or we might not even see him but a time or two in a year, but he was always there. And... Um, he was very good humored. He had a great sense of humor. He was he was fun. He was it was really it was fun to be around Spence. He claimed to be the spirit of an Irishman. Okay, well let me back up just a little bit. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's given too much away to say that. Okay, while we were the exorcism and and the psychic is doing the exorcism because I couldn't get a priest to do it um, and we had this the spirit come out uh, at first he, he said his name was Kalikalik and he was speaking in some kind of ancient language that I couldn't understand and nobody else in the room could understand it, but the psychic could. And they were talking to each other in this weird language that I still don't know what it was. And uh, even Eileen said, I don't know whether I really understood the language or whether I, we were just communicating telepathically, but I knew what he was saying. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, I asked her, and she said, you know, this this is the spirit. He is one of the fallen angels. And uh, he used to play for the other side, but uh, he's turned himself around, and he's one of the good guys now, and he works as a, as a guardian angel for people. And um, I said, well, you know, that sounds great, and, uh, but could you get him to speak English so that I could understand him? Uh, so that's that's when, so she told him that, and then he comes, he comes back as this Irishman, and uh, he told us that uh, he had lived the life of an Irishman just to see what it was like to be human, and um, that, at least that was his story. And, um, but, but he was, he was a, he was a great guy. I enjoyed being around Spence. We used to sit and have conversations and, and had a terrific sense of humor and he was always hungry. He always wanted to see what was in the fridge. Spence was always ready to eat. And, um, <laughs> probably loved once, the flavors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe the food's not that great where he is. Yeah. Know. Uh, but uh, there, there was this one episode where after the, it was about three months after uh, the uh, initial 
uh, exorcism, and Brittany and I and my mother, and she would have been about 80 years old then, and my son were going to go to this, this uh, restaurant and celebrate my mother's 80th birthday. So we're on the way to the restaurant. Brittany's in the front seat with me, my son and my mother in the back seat. And uh, I look over and Brittany's head flops over to the side. Now that's always a, that's a sign that she's about to channel. She just kind of zones out and goes into a trance and we lose Brittany and her head will flop over and then when she looks up, she's somebody else. So uh, that happened, and she looked up, and it was Spence with his Irish accent, and uh, I said, well, I came to say hello, and, and uh, I said, well, you know, we're, we're on our way to a restaurant to celebrate my uh, mother's birthday, and uh, maybe it'd be nice if you'd let Brittany come back, and he said, oh, no, it's okay, I, I asked her, and she said it was okay. And, and uh, I can go with you. So uh, that's the way it panned out. And he went with us to the restaurant. And uh, so he's sitting there with his Irish accent. And the, the waitress comes and waits on us and uh, gets to Spence and asks him what uh, he wants. Or she thinks it's a woman who looks like Brittany or a teenage girl. And... Um, then she's, she's speaking in this Irish accent, and uh, I look up at the waitress, and I say, that's a foreign student. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, trying to explain it. And uh, Spence ordered fish and chips, which is not anything Brittany likes. She doesn't like fish. So uh, that's another sign, I think, that it wasn't Brittany in there because she doesn't even like fish. Mm-hmm. But uh, Spence always was interested in what's, what was good to eat. But uh, he was just a member of the family, and my son liked him. You know, they would, mm-hmm. would talk. Uh, my son would ask him questions about, is there really a heaven, is there really a hell, things like that, things that little boys would be interested in. And uh, so... We always thought that Spence was a really cool guy, actually. And when I was writing the book, and this would have been about 2015, I guess, and we were going, uh, it occurred to me to, to ask Spence what he thought about what had happened to Brittany and maybe write a chapter in the book about what Spence thought. So we were going to have a sort of a seance at a friend of mine's house. Uh, she lives in Lebanon in this old, beautiful, restored Victorian house that is very haunted. Mm-hmm. It's crazy with ghosts. I've heard them. Um, but we were going to get together one night and have a seance and contact Spence. So, and Brittany was cool with that. So the night before we were set to uh, meet at Gina's house, Brittany comes to me and she says, I don't want to channel Spence anymore. Okay. After doing it for 15 years. 
And I said, oh, okay, why? She said, I don't know why. I just, it doesn't feel right. I don't want to talk to him anymore. I, I, I just, I just don't want to be involved with him anymore. Well, that, you know, that's kind of a shocker after 15 years. So I said, okay. And we didn't, we didn't channel Spence. She didn't, that was the last she's channeled Spence, but she didn't want to do it. And, uh, we, we went ahead and had the seance anyway. And, and a friend of mine, um, had one of those ghost boxes and, he brought that, and we contacted some different spirits, and there were other people there, and they got, they asked their questions, and I asked mine, and I did contact Patience Worth, and there was the, the voice of a woman with an English accent came over the the ghost box, and I said, how do you feel about me writing this book? And all she said was, Finish the damn, finish the the damn book. <laughs> so that was that. Patience was but, tired uh, of it. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. But um, um, so that, that's uh, Spence. I don't think Spence turned out to be who we thought he was. Yeah, it, it uh, kind of sounds like that. I, d- I didn't want to give anything away, but. I will say that at one point, about a year after the first exorcism, we had to have another one done mm-hmm. because the spirits didn't go away. And uh, this time I had a, a voodoo shaman do it, called himself a Sangoma. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a voodoo exorcism on Brittany, and he was firmly convinced that Spence was the demon. Uh-huh. And, you know, we I went ahead and let him do his thing, and, and Brittany's channeling Spence, and she's in a trance and doesn't know what's going on anyway. But uh, after it was over with, on the way home, I told Brittany what this guy had, had said, and uh, she, we just thought that was ridiculous because we, we were convinced that Spence was Brittany's guardian angel. Uh-huh. And yeah. as it turned out, and as I look back at things oh, after all these years, I really think the the voodoo Sangoma was right. I really thinking that Spence probably was the demon. It, it sounds long like story, it. but... Yeah. Um, so, you mentioned uh, towards the end of your book that... Um, uh, that one of the psychics you were in contact with said that um, they felt that you might have some um, some connections, um, some, uh, I'm sorry, it was attachments to yourself, uh, and then as well as your, as well as your home. Um, but one thing that kind of came to mind to me, and I, and I noticed you kind of mentioned it, but then kind of also dismissed it a little bit, was is it possible that you have some latent psychic ability yourself, um, which would kind of, work with the um with the thought process that your daughter had it because it sounded like it seems to run in families in some cases um uh, maybe you haven't developed it or anything like that well i haven't developed it <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah yeah uh my mother had abilities 
mm-hmm. and she was afraid of them, and she didn't like to talk about it, but she could see spirits, uh-huh. and she she really just would not talk about things like that. But we knew what we knew what she could do, and we knew when when something like this would happen to her, she'd get very very quiet and just not want to talk to anybody for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and she's told me stories of things that uh, that she has seen and the ghosts that she had seen, but it really scared her. She yeah. did not consider it a gift at all. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you could see ghosts as well in several occasions. You saw apparitions yourself. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few. <laughs> yeah. I don't see them on a regular basis like my daughter does uh-huh. or like my mother did, but I have seen a few, yeah. Well, it does sound like it must run in the family at least to a certain extent for you then. That, they say that it's it's inherited. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it could could very well be. I know one thing that I can do, which is weird. I have dreams that come true okay. on, a, on a pretty regular basis, uh, and it's never anything important. It's <laughs> I never dream about who's gonna, what the winning lottery number is gonna be, or the winning horse at the track, or any of that. It's never anything I could use, but. Uh, I'll dream about things that are going to happen to me, and then two or three days later they do. Or I'll dream about somebody that I do not know, and I'll have a dream about this person, Mm -hmm. and then two or three, four days later I'll meet them in real life. That's actually actually really interesting because if you – if you listen to um, like dream analysts, usually they say you can't um, you can't create a person in your subconscious that you have had to have seen that person before for that person to show up. So it, that does that isn't really interesting factor there. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of weird. Uh, I'm used to it. You know, it's <laughs> like I said, it's worthless. It is totally, absolutely worthless. <laughs> but. I guess it's kind of interesting. That is interesting. Um, so I've just got a couple more questions here. Um, sure. We talked about patients worth being okay. Uh, sorry. How is Brittany now? Uh, she is doing better, but this has been an uh, extremely traumatic. Uh, I can imagine. I mean, you know, she. If, if if you ever saw the movie The Exorcist, that's Hollywood stuff, mm-hmm. and that's they they exaggerate everything, but they really didn't exaggerate it much. Mm-hmm. That's awfully close to what really happens, mm-hmm. and that's an awful thing uh, for a fifteen-year-old child to have to go through. That's an awful thing for an entire family. I could definitely tell in your book that. I mean, it ate you up inside, not being able to protect her. Yeah, and and there's nothing you can do. How do you fight something you can't see? Exactly. And and then when nobody will help you. We we were we were Episcopalians, and um, the first thing I thought to do was to contact my priest and have him come over and see if he would 
you know, what he would do if he could do an exorcism. And I called him the night that this happened, and, you know, he was no help at all. He just totally turned his back on us. He, he said, well, you know, Bill, that's, I just really don't know anything much about things like that. That's just not my area of expertise. That's really unfortunate. Okay. Yeah. And I, I didn't set foot in an Episcopal church for 15 years after that. Yeah, that that's really unfortunate. And that's the way that, um, you know, a, a priest loses their flock in some cases. I mean, he lost yeah, no you kidding. for several years. Yeah. So, so I, I do have one more question, and this one's a little bit on the harder-hitting side, so bear with me on this. Um, okay. <laughs> so I have to tell you that there is a skeptical part of my brain that— keeps asking if it may be something like a multiple personality disorder. It seemed like Brittany at some points did not show all the signs that, like, for example, the Catholic Church uses to identify a demonic possession, e.g. like supernatural powers. However, she did seem to have, uh, she was stronger than she seemed to be. Um, And she also had things like knowing languages that she didn't, um, that she shouldn't have known. So tell me more about how it differentiated itself from Um, something like a multiple personality disorder? Uh, Well, I'm not a psychologist, uh, but I can say that up until this happened, Brittany was a happy-go-lucky kid. She had no emotional problems at all. She she was very outgoing, very extroverted. Uh, Brittany, she was the life of the party anywhere she went. Mm -hmm. She made friends easily. You know, I, I I used to envy her because I've I'm always I've always been very introverted and I don't make friends easily, and I stay to myself. I'm a loner, uh-huh. and she was just the opposite. Well, she was outgoing and and just the life of the party. Then after this happened, you know that that ended. That was the end of that. She's uh, she's <laughs> no longer the life of the party. She's became very depressed um of course when when something like this happens and we didn't know what else to do in the night of the initial exorcism uh, initial possession not the exorcism but the night of the initial possession we had to put Brittany in the hospital because we didn't know what else to do uh-huh and, of course, they thought she was just crazy. They thought she was schizophrenic or uh, what they call it, bipolar, or they've got this kind of ism and that kind of ism, and maybe mm-hmm. she's this and maybe she's that. And they run all these tests on her, and I kept telling them, no, this has nothing to do with what happened here. And mm-hmm. they wouldn't listen to me. You know, they looked at me like I was I was the one that was crazy. And when I try to tell them that I thought she was suffering from some kind of demonic possession, they just <laughs> looked at me like I was the crazy old man. Yeah. Um, it's really unfortunate that uh, science, many scientists, doctors included, refuse to um, to acknowledge that the, this kind of stuff is a possibility and we need to do more research into it to learn how to how to effectively respond to this rather than just throwing medication at it. Oh yeah, absolutely because all that medication does is just it uh, you know, it didn't do any good, I can tell you that much. Mhm. 
Uh, I mean, it, it dulls the senses, but it doesn't actually address the problem. Uh-huh. And she's doing better now uh, after, well, what's it been now? Eighteen, nearly eighteen years, um, but she's had a rough time. She's had a really rough time. It robbed her of her teenage years. That... Uh, she didn't have a normal teenage life. She did very poorly in school after this because you know it's hard to think about history when you're afraid you're going to be possessed by demons. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely understand. Oh, well, I don't understand, but I, I can, I can yeah, view I it. Know what you mean. I can empathize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so is there anything you'd like my listeners to know? I've I've finished all my like questions that I had written up, but is there anything that you'd like my listeners to know or anything that I didn't touch base on that you'd like to speak uh, about? Well, I I know that I wrote the book. I you know, why why did it take you so long to write the book? A lot of people might say. Um and I wrote the book because I want to help people that are going through the same thing that we went through. And I really think that there are a lot more people out there than is commonly understood to be. I I think a lot of people have this problem, but they don't know where to turn. Mm -hmm. And, uh, at the time that all of this happened, I, you know, I'm a newspaper guy. I've been a newspaper reporter before. So I kept a journal. I wrote it all down because it was so weird and so strange that I knew that if I didn't write it down when it was happening that in a year or five years or ten years, I would have talked myself out of it. Oh, that didn't really happen. No, that, you know, I, no, we didn't, I didn't see furniture move around the room. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. It must have been the house settling or, you know, we didn't, I didn't hear disembodied spirits, which is something that we had. I have talked to a disembodied spirit before. There is nothing like it. And I do not recommend it for those at home. But, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that I felt like I needed to write it all down. And I kept the journal, and then I sat on it for 15 years because I wanted to, someday I thought I'll go back and develop this journal into a book. But it's it's not an easy, you know, when when you've been through something like this, it's not something you want to think about. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I write plays, and that's fun. I enjoy writing plays. I can I can whip a play out in three or four months, mm-hmm. and it's fun, and I enjoy it, and I look forward to sitting down and, and writing the play. But writing about your daughter being possessed by demonic entities and having to undergo an exorcism, eventually two exorcisms, and then the house continued to be haunted for another 15 years, that's not something you really want to spend a lot of time thinking about. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I kept putting it off and putting it off, and then finally one day I just said, okay, I, if I want to help anybody, I've got to go ahead and do it. I'm not getting any younger. I'm an old man now. It's yeah. time to do this. 
So I finally just sat down and turned it into a book, and that's that's what you read. It was a beautiful book. Um, you know, we actually, when we first started corresponding, we discussed talking about at least a little bit about your um, the connection between uh, the Bell Witch phenomenon oh, yeah, that happened up yeah. near me um, and and your experience. Uh, and sure. I completely forgot to ask you about that. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? About how yeah, you feel it's connected? Sure. Um, okay. I, a friend of mine is directing that Bell Witch play that they have up there every year. Okay. And I think they're doing it now, in fact. And, um, oh, excuse me, I'm <clears throat> losing my voice here. Um, but he had a panel of paranormal people. <laughs> I'm not going to call us experts. We were, we were just paranormal <laughs> people. Um, but there were four or five of us, and we talked to the actors about uh, paranormal things and about the Bell Witch episode and the Bell Witch haunting. And mm-hmm. uh, My part in it was to kind of parallel what happened to us to the, the Bell Witch haunting. And uh, a lot of experts now, you know, after close to 200 years since the original Bell Witch uh, haunting are thinking that that Kate, the, the spirit, was actually uh, an elemental spirit. Um, not a demon, but uh, an elemental spirit summoned by the Native Americans because there's there's a Native American burial ground on the the Bell Witch Farm, and they had dug up uh, bones of these Native Americans, the Bell's head. You know, that's that's part of the lore. And um, so a lot of people think that these these elemental spirits are there to protect the Indian burial ground, and that that's what Kate was, and that when they dug up these bones, that angered this elemental spirit, and that was how the haunting got started. Okay. So in our case, um, and this is this is something that I really didn't know until the, really the book was already written, and I got a little bit of this in the very end of the book as a possibility, but uh, I didn't find this out until... Really, the book was almost ready to come out. But where I live, I live in a condo. I've I've been here since 1985. And it sits on ground that is about two and a half blocks from the Trail of Tears. Lebanon Road is that, you know, where Lebanon Road comes out of Nashville and it goes to Lebanon. Mm -hmm. That's where the Trail of Tears were, where they walked the Cherokee Indians or they marched them to Oklahoma. And yeah, it was it was a, it was a horrible time in the, the history of our nation. It was something that we all should be ashamed of. Absolutely. And they wouldn't even let if somebody died, if some of the Native Americans died on the march, they wouldn't even let them stop and bury their dead. Oh, wow. 
So if somebody died, they just left them there, left the body there to rot. Yeah, that we've got a few of those uh, markers up near. Um, there's a church right down the street from us. Um, uh-huh. where there's a marker um, about the Trail of Tears there. And then up in Hopkinsville, there's another one. So, yeah, I, I've i seen yeah, several very, of those. very so. sad time yeah. in our history. So I'm thinking that uh, Trail of I can I'm looking out the window right now. I can see Lebanon Road from here. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the Trail of Tears, maybe some Native American shaman or chief or somebody died right out there mm-hmm. and and one of the native american shamans called up an elemental to protect the body that they were going to have to leave on the side of the road uh-huh. and that elemental still here and so then we come back to spence mm-hmm. maybe spence wasn't a demon maybe spence was an elemental spirit summoned by the Native Americans. And that's that was my parallel to what happened to the Bills. Uh-huh. And and it could definitely be if you think it about it. Be. He wasn't yeah. he wasn't outright at least from what you could see, he wasn't outright malicious in in really anything that he did. He may not be the uh you know, he may be a trickster at times, but not outright malicious and mean whereas Yeah, I I'd, I'd say more of a trickster. Yeah. Uh, now, taking over the body of a little 15-year-old girl, is he, he might see it as a trick, but it wasn't a trick as far as we were concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with yeah. you on that. If you think about that, it's not it, – it, but it is still a little bit more tricksterish, more like Puck than you would kind of expect uh, um, Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream, just for my listeners, um, <laughs> than you would expect like a demonic entity to be. Um, yeah, and you know, the, uh, an elemental spirit—it's uh, it's what they call a chaos spirit. Mm-hmm. They don't have—they don't differentiate between right and wrong in the same way that we do. Yeah, there's there's not good and there's not bad to an elemental spirit. There's just I have a job to do. Uh-huh. I was summoned here to protect this land by mm-hmm. by this Native American shaman and. Uh, maybe I've been sitting here for uh, 200 years, and now this little psychic 15-year-old girl moves in, and I can communicate to her. Uh-huh. And I haven't been able to find anybody else to talk to in these 200 years. Mm-hmm. And so he picks Brittany. Well, it, you know, it, it ruins her life, but I can I can see how they're how an elemental spirit wouldn't see that as a bad thing. Yeah. And, and and I can absolutely, like, if if you pull yourself away from the emotional aspect of it, I can see where, you know, they're just bored. They're trying to, I, I can absolutely understand that. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you, you look at some of the situations where, like, with Kate, um, you know, Kate is allegedly killed, um, uh, Mr. Bell. John Bell, yeah. John Bell. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, maybe he was a threat to the land that other people weren't, that your daughter yeah. wasn't, that you aren't, you know? So. And, you know, and, th- and that's right. I mean, once John died, the whole family just kind of fell apart. They they continued to live on the land, but the expansion was pretty much killed. Mm-hmm. 
and and the haunting ended when she killed John. She was Kate was finished. She'd done her job. Mm-hmm. It's truly unfortunate. Um, your story was amazing. I'm glad I got to read the book. Um, I'm I'm glad that I got a chance to speak with you about it. Um, and and I'm glad that I got to ask you these questions because. Uh, you're one of my first interviews ever, like I think my second interview for the podcast. Um, so oh, cool. I, I hope I did a good job. <laughs> but, no, you did a great job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I do appreciate you coming on. Um, my listeners appreciate you coming on. Um, did you want to say goodbye to my listeners? We, we refer uh, to yeah, them as Beyonders. Uh, thanks for having me. I enjoyed uh, talking about my book. I didn't enjoy leaving through the what we had to go through, but it was uh, it's nice to get it off your chest, and I hope that there's somebody out there that might be going through the same thing we went through, and maybe by reading the book, you'll find something in there that could help you. At least you'll know you're not crazy, and it really is happening. Absolutely. All right. I'm I'm Dan. I'm back with Lee. Lee, that was a crazy interview. Um you got in deep with Bill about the spirit world. Uh you were giving him all kinds of stuff about protector spirits and your theories. I loved what you were bringing to it. Um tell us what you thought about the interview. You know, I typically think in a more skeptical view, um, and I try to keep my um, my my skepticism uh, leaning towards the more realistic. That being said, a lot of his story is very hard to explain, um, and and I really loved that about the story. Um, Bill has become uh, a person that I truly do look up to. And I truly feel that his experiences were outside the realm of what is a normal experience, uh, whether it be anything that happens to be um, happens to be a mental condition, um, whether it be a um, paranormal activity. There was so much that he had going on, so many connections. And when you look at if you look at what his his ultimate theory for Spence was, which was that he feels that Spence was like a, a protector spirit, um, very much similar to uh, um, an elemental, an elemental spirit. And and I really I, I agree with him. And that's where the real connection, in my opinion, comes between um, between Spence and Kate. Uh, I personally believe that they are very similar in spirit um, to to one another. While Spence is capable of interacting through another living being, um, Kate may be slightly more powerful, capable of actually um, communicating via disembodied voice. Um, if you remove that that minor difference and the fact that Kate um, ultimately did end up uh, supposedly murdering somebody, um, the rest of their story is very similar. Um, both of them act very tricksterish. Um, both of them act very similar to a um, a being that 
seems to know mostly what's right from wrong, but doesn't have the same moral code that, say, a human being would have. Um, what do you think, yeah. Dan? Lee, I'm totally down with uh, with your skeptical analysis. Um, you know, I don't I wasn't there. I don't know what was going on, but it was very evident from Bill's story that it was very real to him. Mm-hmm. And these experiences were deep and moving and very impactful on his family. So I am 100% down with that. And you got to look at it with a with a skeptical view. Uh, you can't just take everything at face value. So I am on with your analysis there. Um, the other thing, too, is this elemental spirit. We talked in the last episode a little bit about um, the bloody history of the area, you know, with the Indian wars and the settlements uh, and the trail of tears that walked by there. You touched on that in your interview with Bill. There's just a lot of stuff that went on there um, that could lead to elemental protector spirits uh, being cast uh, as Bill thought by like Indian shaman. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is a great analysis of potential link to the bell witch story it's uh it's deep it's crazy um the thought of something being in the ground uh, manifesting itself in a human fashion uh it's almost it's almost uh too much for my brain to wrap around um but it's the kind of crazy thing that could link these two stories together and and you're I think you're absolutely right with that. Um it, it it's tough for me because I want to be skeptical, but I also want to believe. And in my in my view of this particular scenario, if there is a story that really happened, if there is a story of true possession, I feel like this is about as close as we'll ever get. Um Yes. Because as he said, and as he um, explains in his book, a lot of what you see in the movies is not 100% accurate. They need to make those movies um, entertaining. So they will take it up a notch. They will make it a little bit more um, crazy, for example. It's it's the extreme version. It's the full-on crazy Hollywood CGI. It's got to be big. Exactly. They've got to make it big to keep our, inter- our our imagination going. Well, this isn't far off from it. Like, I could see this story as a movie with very little changes, and I think it'd be successful. Yeah, totally. Um, one thing I was wondering when I listened to the interview, Lee, is how he determined that his daughter was possessed. And it turns out the answer is in the title of the book. And I don't want to give a lot away because it is very dramatic, this, uh, this turning point. And it takes, it takes Bill and his family down a very, very wild path. And it's, you're right. It's a page turner. Exactly. Um, Dan and I hope to get, I'm going to send that book over to you. It's a little beat up and a little worse for wear, but I'm going to send it over to you so you can actually read the entire thing yourself. Um, because I want you to be able to he- see it as well. 
Uh, but like I said, yeah, it's... your synopsis of it was enough for me, man. That's freaky. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're absolutely right. Um, the name of the book kind of gives away the initial um, scenario, and it really does uh, fit with the story. And it it's it's crazy. It really is crazy. And his family went through a harrowing experience that I hope to never go through. Um, and my daughter, you know, she's you know, 10 years old right now. Uh, I've got five more years uh, and I'm a little worried right now. Yeah. Uh, we do not well, have Ouija boards in our house. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't mess around with Ouija boards, man. Uh-uh, not even. <laughs> not today, <laughs> See, uh, <Satan>. I'm, <laughs> Dude, and I'm, I'm as skeptical as they come and I, I say I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious for sure. I don't <laughs> mess around with that stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, back on that serious note, like you were saying, uh, Bill and his family went through, went through hell. And <laughs> so did John Bell and his family. Exactly. Um, there's something about this elemental spirit, maybe that is, I don't know, trying to break down our human connections, trying to drive us away, um, split us apart. I don't know what it is, um, but these these spirits being connected to to the land, being chaotic. Uh, maybe it's not intentional. Maybe it's part of their nature, but it's something. That is, uh, you know, unexplainable. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows the mind of a spirit that's connected to the ground and has been there for, you know, perhaps hundreds of years. Exactly. And, and you're absolutely correct. But not only that, I find it strange that it just seems like they, if they exist, they, they have a weird or a strange, like, they find a person and they make a connection with that person. And it seems like they think that what they're doing is, you know, essentially harmless, but they're, mm-hmm. they're ruining this person's life. Kate broke up with a potential love interest because she felt that it was safer to keep him away from that or not Kate, sorry, Betsy um, right. broke up with a potential love interest because she felt it was safer to keep him away from Kate um, yeah, Brittany, uh, Bill's daughter, um, it, it messed with her entire life after the fact, um, she is still working on recovering from it and I don't think she'll ever be fully, uh, fully healed. Um, I think she's learned how to cope with it a lot better, but I really don't think she'll ever be fully healed. Yeah, man, that is. That is wild. Um, and you know what? This story, this story to me, a uh, lot more credible than uh, the Bell Witch research that I did. Um, you know, the Bell Witch story, it's, uh, you know, 200 years old. It wasn't written down for 74 years. Uh, there's just not a lot of very good primary sources, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, historians would say that's just not, it doesn't stand up. Um, and it seems very Scooby-Doo and childish at times. This is not any of those things. <laughs> um, Bill Bill wrote down his experiences. This is not something that's a childish game, even though I guess it did start very innocently with the Ouija board. It became something that is a lot more intense 
than uh, pinpricks and slaps. And and that's a really good point to Bill's credit because because of his journalistic background, he was very clear from the beginning that he wanted to ensure that he documented it. And he wrote this down and he documented every incident um, in the moment. Well, not, you know, within a few hours, right, within he, a few he days. He journaled it, yeah. He documented this incident when it was fresh in his mind. So there wasn't room for that same embellishment or discrediting that happens over time. Like, I, if something right. weird happens to me, you know, three, four days later, I'm going to be like, no, maybe I was just tired. Um, but he wrote this down at the time of the incident because he wanted it to be held on to prospe- for prosperity. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it is about 18 years later at this point, um, but he started writing. He essentially wrote this book over the course of 15 years. Every time. Well, and I can understand um, like needing to process this and the healing that had to happen before you could go back and open up those old wounds and look at these memories um, because it is so intense. I mean, you can't just go right into the book. So I totally get uh, the time lapse between uh, the book and the event. Oh, yeah. Uh, But he had but like you said, he he had his writings from when it happened. So that is, you know, it's a firsthand account, 100%. Exactly. And that that's, it, it's the most ideal situation you could get for a story being told. Um, they say the farther away from a story you get um, from the time that it happens to the time that it actually gets written down, the farther away that is, the more likely it is to be untrue or at the very least be embellished. Um, and we're talking mm-hmm. 70 years in the Bell's case. We're talking 45 minutes or a day in um, Mr. Dorian's case. So, yeah. yeah, once once it's down there black and white, man, it's um, it's a lot stronger in a person's memory, too, exactly. uh, when they write something like that down. Um, and then to go back and recount it with, uh, you know, the time and the healing and the different the different thoughts in your head you could say well maybe maybe what i was experiencing then in this moment wasn't that maybe it was something else and you can go back and look at how you were feeling and think about uh all the new information that you have and try and put a story together exactly so i really appreciate mr dorian i really appreciate bill um and i'm glad we got a chance to do this interview um yeah, solid stuff, Bill. Thank you for coming on with Lee. That was amazing. Thank you, Bill. And I really do hope that at some point in the future I can get you on for either your next book or for, you know, your expert opinion on um, on anything paranormal. Um, if you've it, Once you read Bill's book, guys, you're going to realize, or did I say Bell's? Um, once you read Bill's <laughs> book, um, you'll realize uh, he really does know his stuff. Um, he has done the research because he's had to in many cases. He's had to learn um, about exorcisms, about paranormal, about the Bible in general. Um, he really does know his stuff, and he is going to be—he is a source for me in the future. And I hope he—I hope he feels that I've done him a service and um, will be available to us um, for future reference. 
Awesome stuff, Lee. I I hope our be our Beyonders got as much out of this as I did. Um, I I really think this is going to be uh, a big hit. And Beyonders, go out check out the Holy Water Incident by William Dorian. Um, this is a great companion piece to go along with the book. Uh, maybe after you read it or before uh, to get you excited for it. So check it out. It's definitely worth it. As always, guys, thank you. We truly appreciate you. Please check us out on Facebook, like us, and follow us. And, Dan, tell us again, where can you find us on Twitter? We are at Beyond T Pod. That's Beyond, the letter T as in terrestrial, pod. You can find us there. We'll be tweeting out new episodes, uh, pictures, all kinds of stuff so you can keep up with Beyond Terrestrial. Thank you guys so much, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. See you later, Beyonders.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.